If there was ever a question that we all need to ask ourselves, it would be this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? If there was ever a question that is applicable to us and to our condition before God, it would be this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? If there was ever a question that we all need to take seriously, it would be this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? And my friend, if there was ever a question that the Bible, that the Bible needs us and wants us to answer, it is this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting in church until we die? Why are we sitting here on yet another Lord's Day morning, still unconverted, still uncommitted, still out of Christ? Why are we sitting here until we die? But I'm sure that I, I would be right in saying that the fact that you are sitting here and that you keep sitting here and that you keep coming back to church Lord's Day by Lord's Day, it indicates at the very least that you have a concern for your soul. It indicates at the very least that you know that eternity is looming and that you won't live forever. And when it comes to God and the things of church and the things of Jesus Christ, the fact that you are here again today, it indicates that there is an interest there. It might not be a strong interest. Your soul might not be uh, your greatest concern in all your list of concerns. You know it should be. But if you were to be honest, well, that's not the case. And because it's not the case, you're not ready to commit your life to following Jesus Christ just yet. But I hope that by the end of the sermon that will change. Because the question we're being asked today is why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting here if we don't want that change to take place in our life? Why are we sitting here for another hour on a Lord's day if we don't really want the Lord in our life? Why are we sitting here reading the Bible and praying and listening to a preacher if we don't really want it to affect our heart. Why are we sitting here? If our sitting here is only to ease our conscience until we die. Why are we sitting here until we die? And you know my friend, if these pews could speak. They would tell us how long you have actually been sitting here. If these pews could speak, they, they would tell us of all the times that you have sat in this place. Whether it was on the Lord's day, or for a wake, or for the, a funeral of, of someone from this community. If these pews could speak, they would tell us how often you, you have heard the word of God being read to you. They would tell us how many sermons you have heard in your lifetime. They would tell us how many preachers have spoken to you throughout the years. But these pews would also tell us how often you have chosen to ignore the call to come to Christ for your salvation. My friend, if these pews could speak, they would ask you, why are you sitting here until you die? If there was ever a question that we need to answer, it's this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? 
But this question was asked in a discussion between four lepers. And they were sitting at the gate to the city of Samaria. And you know, this morning I'd just like us to listen in to their conversation. And see what conclusion they came to when they asked the question that we all need to answer. Why are we sitting here until we die? And I'd like us just to consider this conversation between the lepers under three headings. The context, the conversation, and the conclusion. The context, the conversation, and the conclusion. So if we look first of all at the context. If you look again at verse 1. It says, But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, that is Elisha, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so in order for us to understand Uh, This question, why are we sitting here until we die? In order for us to understand where it came from and why it was asked, we need to understand the context of this passage. Uh, And we need to understand the context of the book. Because, well, as you know, context is important and it helps us to understand the content of the book and what's going on. And, you know, when we come to the books of Kings, as you can guess, first and second Kings, they are... A historical account about the kings of Israel and Judah. First Kings begins with the death of of King David, who was the man after God's own heart, the greatest king in Israel. And David's successor was his son Solomon. And for many years Solomon followed in his father's footsteps. But Solomon married women who were from foreign nations. And these women, they worshipped false gods and they bowed down to idols. And the Lord had specifically told his people that they were not to do that because it would turn them away from himself and it would cause them to worship other gods. And that's what happened. Solomon's many marriages, they caused Israel to be infiltrated with all these false gods and these false religions. And over time, the people, they turned away from worshiping the Lord to worshiping all these false gods. But when Solomon died, He left his kingdom to two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And they were nothing like their father Solomon or their grandfather David because they wanted to do their own thing and live their own lives. They wanted to break free from the shackles of being brought up in a God-fearing home and being made to worship the Lord. And so, like many of us did in our, our own youth, they rebelled. But the rebellion of Rehoboam and Jeroboam it led to the division of the nation of Israel. Where the nation of Israel, it became two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. With Israel was in the north and Judah was down in the south. But that division of the nation, it marked this downward spiral of both kingdoms. Where almost every succeeding king was worse than the last. There were some kings that were faithful, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, Hezekiah, They sought to bring honour to the Lord and lead his people back to worshipping the Lord. But as soon as the king died, the people would return to their idols and to their false gods. And throughout the books of Kings, there is this spiritual decay, this spiritual decline and this turning away from the Lord. 
until the Lord finally moves in judgment at the end of 2 Kings and the people are invaded and brought into other, into other foreign lands. The northern kingdom of Israel was invaded and destroyed. The people were taken captive into Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah was invaded and destroyed and the people were taken into the land of Babylon. But even though both kingdoms were always going headlong towards this catastrophic end under the hand of the Lord's judgment, the Lord didn't leave them. The Lord didn't leave them. Because throughout their years of disobedience and doing what they wanted to do and being so far away from the Lord and this spiritual decline in their life, despite all that, the Lord continued to speak to his people through prophets. The Lord raised up many prophets to remind his people that they were only to serve the living and true God. And out of his grace and his love and his mercy, the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn the people. To warn them that if they refused to repent and turn from their sin and turn back to the Lord, the Lord would bring judgment. And the message that the prophets preached again and again and again was the solemn message. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You need to repent because judgment is coming. And that was the role of the prophets. Their role was to proclaim God's truth and to herald God's covenant and to challenge any who worshipped false gods or bowed down to idols. The role of the, of the prophets was to call the people to repent, to realize the error of their ways and turn to the Lord and seek him with all their heart and to commit their lives to loving, honoring and worshiping the Lord. But when you look through the books of Kings, it didn't matter how many prophets the Lord sent. It didn't matter how many prophets proclaimed the truth. It didn't matter how often they preached about God's judgment. The people weren't listening. They were ignoring all the warnings of judgment. The Lord had sent them again and again. But they were ignoring it. Ignoring all the warnings. And you know the same is true today. The Lord has sent many preachers to this pulpit. And he sent them down throughout the years. And like the prophets of old, they have proclaimed God's truth. They have heralded God's covenant. They have challenged you as to where you stand with Jesus Christ. They have reminded you again and again that judgment is coming. There is a day coming when we will be called to the bar of God's judgment to give an account. But before then, you need to repent and turn to the Lord. You need to repent of your sins and turn to the Lord. You need to seek the Lord while he's to be found and call upon him while he is near. That you need to commit your life to loving, honoring and worshipping the Lord. But it seems that despite all that you're told and the fact that you're pleaded with, you refuse to listen. You ignore what's said. Despite everything you've heard, you're still going headlong Towards a lost eternity in hell. You're still going on that same trajectory towards a lost eternity. My friend, why are you sitting here until you die? 
Why are you sitting here and letting all these opportunities pass you by? Why are you wasting your life chasing these things that will not last and will never satisfy? Why are you trying to hold on to all these things that will only be taken from you? They will only be taken from you. They'll just fall through your fingers. And you know, that's what Israel was doing. In the context of this chapter, Israel was continually at war with Syria. And you know, it's frightening to think that these nations, they're still at war. They're still fighting with one another. Uh, And they're also fighting internally with their own people. We've seen that on the news this week. All the devastation. But what we see here in in the previous chapter, in chapter 6, is that Israel was trying to hold on to the city of Samaria. But the Syrians, they were constantly trying to capture it. And take it from them. And in the previous chapter the Syrians. They succeeded in taking the city of Samaria. And as you would expect. The king of Israel. He wasn't happy with this Syrian invasion. But what angered the king most. Wasn't just the Syrian invasion. It was the fact that there was a famine in the land. And famine. The famine had become so severe. If you read just the end of chapter 6. The people were cannibals. They were eating one another. They had no food. And this angered the king. But the truth was their invasion from Syria and the famine in the land, it was because of God's judgment upon them. Because invasion and famine, they were expressions of God's judgment and displeasure against the king for leading the people away from worshipping the Lord. And so who do people blame when something goes wrong in their lives? They blame God. When everything is fine, God doesn't exist. But when things go wrong, God is responsible for all these bad things. And that's what the king did. He blamed God for the Syrians' invasion of of Samaria. And he blamed God for the famine in the land. And in order to take out his frustration and anger with the Lord, the king wanted the Lord's prophet dead. He wanted Elisha dead. And so the king sends this captain of of his guard, the captain of his guard, he sends him to Elisha to tell him this trouble that we have, this famine, this invasion, this is from the Lord. And the king wants you dead. But Elisha says to the king's captain, that's where we come into chapter 7. Elisha says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. Two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, he's been sarcastic, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. You shall not eat of it. Elisha promised that within 24 hours, everything will change. Elisha promised good news. They didn't deserve good news, but... Elisha promised good news because in 24 hours the famine will be over and the people will be able to eat again. But because of the unbelief of the king's captain, Elisha told him that in 24 hours you will be dead. Your life will be over. And that's what's reaffirmed to us at the end of the chapter. It's mentioned at the beginning, then it's restated at the end. It says in verse 18, For when the man of God had said to the king, 
Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. The king's captain didn't even think about his own death. And yet he died within 24 hours. But in contrast to the king's captain, we have four lepers who are conversing about their own death. And yet they experience the good news that the Lord's prophet Elisha had promised. And you know, it's a reminder that we don't know what's around the corner for any of us. We often say it, we don't know what a day nor an hour may bring. Because we might be like the king's captain, not concerned about death or our own death, not ready if it comes. But you know, the truth is, we all need to be like these four lepers. Because they were prepared for death. And they experienced good news before they saw it. They were prepared for death. And they experienced good news before they saw it. And so that's the context to these four lepers. But secondly, let's consider the conversation between these four lepers. The conversation. Look at verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And as those listening to this conversation between four lepers, we might think that it's a pretty morbid conversation. To be talking about death, and to be talking in particular about their own death. But you know, the truth was, these four men were realistic. They all knew that there was something wrong with them. And they were all aware that they were dying. Because as lepers they knew that their lifespan was, had been shortened dramatically. And their illness reminded them that their days were now numbered. But more than that, the famine in the land, it increased the likelihood of their death if they didn't act immediately. And so sitting outside the entrance to the city of Samaria, these four lepers, they began a conversation about their future. But the reason they're sitting outside the gate of Samaria was because they were lepers. They were unclean and they lived in isolation. They lived separate lives to the rest of society. They were outside, you could say, sitting outside the kingdom. They were isolated, outside the city. And if they were to ever move near the city, if they were to ever see somebody who's clean, they would always have to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. And so these lepers, they're sitting outside the kingdom of Samaria, the, the city of Samaria. They're holding this conversation with one another about their future. And they're asking the question that we all need to ask ourselves, why are we sitting here until we die? And you know, these lepers, they were aware that time was passing and life was short. Every day was a day less of life and a day closer to, the, to death. And as every day passed, their leprosy was 
taking more and more of a hold upon their bodies. And they knew that things weren't ever going to get any better. It was only going to get worse. And their illness, it was taking over and it was bringing with it new weaknesses and and greater tiredness and more frailties and acute pains. Their bodies were, were slowly decaying and fading because of the disease that possessed them. And each of these four lepers, they knew that their disease would eventually take over their life and take their life completely. And it's no wonder that they're asking, why are we sitting here until we die? But as you know, the Bible, it often likens the disease of leprosy to our sin. Where sin has a grip of us. Sin has taken hold of our mind, our bodies. It's infecting and affecting every area of our lives. And sin, it's that hereditary disease which has been passed on from generation to generation. We were conceived in guiltiness and sin. We were all born with this disease. And even in our innocence as a child, we possess this disease of sin. But in our younger days, in our youth, growing up in our youth, we never really felt the the physical effects of sin. We were told that we were a sinner. We got ill sometimes, but we never saw the physical effect that sin has upon us. But as time goes by, and the days are rolled into years, and the years have gathered into decades, the physical effects of sin are beginning to become more and more apparent. Because when we look at ourselves, those grey hairs, they're increasing in number. Or for some, their hair has already died. Those wrinkles, they spread, they're starting to spread further. The eyesight, it's not as perceptive as it once used to be. The hearing, it's not as good as it once was. The body, it's not as strong and it's not as fit as it had been in the past when we were working. And because of that, taking medication is the norm. But with every passing year, it brings with it new weaknesses, greater tiredness, more frailties, acute pains. And each and every one of them are evidences that this disease of sin is slowly taking over. And we're all moving closer and closer and closer to the grave. We're all moving. And every time we sit here, We are being reminded of the truth of scripture. The wages of sin is death. And maybe for you, my friend, you've been denying the obvious. Or putting off the inevitable. But like these lepers, when you consider yourself, you start to realize that what the Bible is actually saying is true. You're dying. We're all dying. You're dying. And there's, you know, there's no getting away from this. We, can't, we, we can put it off as much as we like. We can fill our minds with, with things and fill our minds with all these distractions, all these entertainments that we can find. But that doesn't change the fact that this disease of sin is slowly taking over our life. And one day soon, it will take it. 
It will just take it. My friend, we are all in the waiting room. Waiting to see who will be called next. But why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting in church, wasting away to a lost eternity? Why are we sitting here until we die when we have the opportunity to experience the good news of eternal life? Why are we sitting here until we die? But you know, this conversation between these four lepers, as it progressed, they came to the conclusion that if they stayed where they were, they would certainly die. But if they went into the city, there was this possibility that they might die. They weren't sure what would happen if they went into the city. But they were sure that if they stayed exactly where they are, they would certainly die. And so it was better for them to make a move and to commit themselves to going and seeing what would happen. But to sit and wait, that would just be fatal. And you know, there are some people who have a fatalistic view of salvation. They excuse themselves from committing their life to the Lord and becoming a Christian by hiding behind the doctrine of election. They have this perverted view of God's sovereignty in salvation. And I've heard it so often. If I'm going to be saved, I will be saved. There's nothing I can do about it. Nothing at all. Because if I'm in the elect, I will be saved. And sad to say, those who think like that, and those who sit, and those who stay where they are, and those who die in that condition, when they die, when they die, they go to hell. And they go to hell because the Bible never ever tells us to sit and stay where we are. The Bible never says sit and do nothing. No, my friend, the Bible is it's full of divine imperatives. Because if you go to that great gospel chapter in Isaiah 55, maybe many of you learnt it as a child, you know it off pat. Isaiah 55, the Lord is, is speaking directly to you. And he's saying, everyone who's thirsty, come. Come to the waters and drink. And if you have no money, still come. Buy and eat. Yes, come, he says. Come without money. Come without price. Because why are you going to spend your money on that which is not bread? Why are you going to work and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, says the Lord. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And the Lord says to us, do it now. Do it now while you have time. While you're on mercy's ground. While you still have breath in your lungs. While you still have all your faculties. Before you are too late. Seek the Lord while he's to be found. And call upon him while he is near. My friend, Isaiah 55. It's this divine invitation. And it's full of divine imperatives. Come, take, learn. Come, come, come. Listen, incline, hear, seek, call, come. And not one of these divine imperatives says, if you're in the elect, stay where you are. Not one of them says, if you're in the elect, sit and do nothing. Not one of them says, if you're in the elect, wait for something to happen. No, my friend, they all invoke 
They all encourage. They all appeal. They all plead. Plead for you to respond to the divine invitation of Jesus to come and find rest for your soul. And so my friend, I want to ask you today, if Jesus is calling you to come to him for eternal life, why are you sitting here until you die? We've considered the context to these lepers. We've considered the conversation between the lepers. And lastly, we see the conclusion of these four lepers. The conclusion. Look at verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. After a lot of conversation about death and the inevitability of their own death, the four lepers concluded that it was better to make a commitment and to go into the city than to die without trying. And so, as we read, they arose at twilight and made their way into the city. As the sun was going down and darkness was was falling over the land, these four lepers, they got up out of their seats of death And they committed themselves to going forward into the city of Samaria. They weren't completely sure of what it would be like when they entered the city. But what they were sure of was that they couldn't stay where they were and die. They couldn't stay where they are. And you know, isn't it interesting that they waited until twilight to go into the city. They waited until the darkness began to fall so that they could keep their identity hidden. They didn't want anyone to find out who they were. And they certainly didn't want anyone to know that they were making steps to ensure that they would live. And is that not often the case when we're seeking the Lord? We're not completely sure of what it will be like when we become a Christian. We don't really know how we will feel or what to expect or what will happen. But what we do know is that we can't stay where we are. We can't stay where we are. We can't stay where we are and die in our condition. Therefore, the only option is to make a move and commit to the Lord. But like these lepers, when we're making that commitment, when we're seeking the Lord, we don't want anyone to know. We don't want anyone to know what's going on in our heart. So we come in the twilight. We come under the shadow of darkness, just like Nicodemus did. In the night. Seeking Jesus. And when we're seeking the Lord, it's so personal, it's so private. It's just between you and the Lord. You don't want anyone to know what's going on in your heart, not even those closest to you. But like these lepers, when you rise out of your seat, the seat that you've been dying in for so many years, and when you make that commitment to actively and openly seeking the Lord, you know that there's no going back. There's no going back. And in some way, like these lepers, you may be apprehensive of what the future may hold for you if you commit your life to the Lord. You may be scared. You might be worried about what others will say. You might be afraid of what people will think of you if you you became a Christian. But despite all these things, you know that the truth is, you know that you can't stay where you are and die in your lost condition. You know that you can't stay where you are 
But what's so beautiful about this passage? It seems in one sense so morbid, but what's so beautiful about it is that when these lepers made the commitment to go into the city, it wasn't at all what they expected. It wasn't at all what they expected. They were apprehensive, they were scared, they were afraid of what would happen to them. But that's not what they were met with in the city. Because when they entered the city, they were met, as it says, with good news. They were met with good news. And they could see that the Lord had made their path straight. The Syrians, as it says, they had fled the city. They had deserted it, fearing this attack coming upon them. But all the time, it was the Lord making a path for these lepers to go into the city and find treasures beyond all imagination. And is that not the promise of Scripture? We are to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to lean not upon our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. And when these lepers, when they entered the city, they found what they desperately needed and a lot more. Because they found an abundance of food and drink and clothing and gold and silver, they found treasure in abundance. And my unconverted friend, that's the promise of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That when you rise out of your seat of death and come seeking eternal life in Jesus Christ, he promises to do in you and for you far above and beyond your asking or your thinking. Because when you come to this Jesus, you will find in him treasures. Treasures that is like full store, as the psalmist says. Because in Jesus, there is everlasting love. In Jesus, there is the promise of forgiveness of sins. In Jesus, there is peace with God. In Jesus, there is assurance of salvation, eternal life, adoption into God's family, justification before the righteous judge, the beauty of holiness. In Jesus, there is God's protection, God's care, God's compassion, God's keeping, grace by the way, glory in the end. And it's all in Jesus. My friend, this is what's promised to you when you rise out of your seat of death and flee to Christ. That's what's promised to you. That's what's promised. That's what's promised when you come seeking salvation in Jesus. You receive far above and beyond your asking or your thinking. But I must warn you, That is my responsibility. I must warn you that if you stay where you are and you sit there until you die, the opposite will be true. And the outcome of what you will receive for not coming to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, it will be awful beyond imagination. The Bible never warns us about the horrors of physical death. As we said, that's inevitable. The Bible only warns us about the horrors of eternal death in hell. And during his life and ministry, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And Jesus did that because he knew the seriousness of telling people the truth. The truth that Hell is a real place and real people go there. The truth that hell is a place of unending pain and unstoppable torment. 
The truth that hell is the place where you cannot die. You are dying but never dead. It's eternal sorrow. And Jesus wants us to know the truth about hell so that we will flee to him for salvation. He wants us to know that hell is the place where the fire is not quenched. Hell is the place where there is wailing and grinding of teeth because of the severity of the pain. Hell is the place of outer darkness. Hell is the place of great separation. Separation from life. Separation from blessing. Separation from family. Separation from friends. Hell is the place of eternal death. And when we hear Jesus talking about hell, we have to ask, well, why is he talking like this? Why would he speak about the awfulness of hell more than the wonder and glory of heaven? My friend, surely it's because he wants us to know the truth. Surely it's a loving warning. Surely it's because Jesus loves us and he doesn't want us to go to hell. And the truth is he loves us so much that he has already demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross on our behalf. My friend, Jesus doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to be saved. I want you to be saved. I don't want you to go to hell. But the only person who can change that is you. The only one because you have to cry out to Jesus for mercy. You have to go down on bended knee and seek the Lord with all your heart. You have to commit your life to him. Before you're too late. You have to rise out of your seat of death. And flee to Christ. No one else can do it for you. You have to do it. Why do you think I speak to you about hell and death? It's so that you will see that sitting and dying in your sin. It's not an option. It's not an option. And it's so that you'll know how bad this bad news really is. In order for you to embrace the goodness. The goodness of this good news. In Jesus Christ. And you know that's what the lepers discovered. They rose out of their seats of death. And they, they ran into the city. And they found this abundance of treasure. And they said we can't keep this to ourselves. We have to tell others. We're told in verse 9. They said to one another. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news if we're silent and wait until the morning punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. They didn't want to keep this good news to themselves because they saw that, well, if they didn't tell other people, the other people would die where they're sitting. My friend, this is a day of good news. We are in a day of good news and we are being told in God's word not to sit here until we die. We're not to wait even until, as it says, the morning light. We're not to wait until the morning to come to Christ. We're not to wait until tomorrow to come to Christ. We're not to wait until a, a more convenient season to come to Christ. No, it says this is a day of good news. This is a day of good news. And now is the accepted time to come. Because today is the day of salvation. And so, if there is good news in Jesus Christ, 
why are we sitting here until we die? May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we thank Thee and we praise Thee for the loving warnings in Thy Word that remind us that we need to do something and that today is the day of salvation. Help us, Lord, not to continue sitting and to continue dying without Christ, but help us to flee to him. Help us to see who he is and the beauty of him. Help us to run to Jesus, to hear his voice and know that, as he says of his sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and they shall never be plucked out of my hand. Oh, bless us, we pray. Bless thy truth to our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 143. Psalm 143 in the Scottish Psalter, page 439. Psalm 143, we're singing from verse 6 down, the second version of the psalm, singing from verse 6 down to the verse marked 8. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone, for thou well understands all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee, as thirsty ground requires, with rain refreshed to be. Lord, let my prayer prevail, to answer it make speed. For lo, my spirit doth fail, hide not thy face in need, lest I be like to those that do in darkness sit, or him that downward goes into the dreadful pit. Down to the verse marked 8 of Psalm 143, to God's praise.
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.